Business Hour with Oliver Feng on OFM. The University of the Free State last week announced that it had appointed Professor Nicolene Barkhazen as director of the institution's business school as of 1 November. Now, Professor Barkhazen holds a PhD in industrial psychology from the Northwest University and began her academic career as a research assistant at the same institution before gaining lecturing experience at the University of Johannesburg and the University of Pretoria. Currently, she is a full professor in the Department of Industrial Psychology and People Management at UJ. She tells me she's going to actually be moving down to Bloemfontein to begin her tenure as the director of UFS's business school. So with that in mind, I have the pleasure of chatting to Professor Barkhazen about the state of executive education in South Africa. Where does it stand as compared to abroad? And notably, where does talent management stand? Professor Barkhazen, congratulations on your appointment as director of the UFS Business School, effective from 1 November. How do you feel about your appointment? Thank you very much for the opportunity to participate in your program and also good afternoon to all the listeners. I'm absolutely very excited and thrilled um, to join such a vibrant and dynamic University of the Free State and I'm also really looking forward to make a contribution to the Business School. Now speaking of that contribution as a revered academic and as someone who's led varied departments or research centers, what changes are you hoping to bring about at the UFS Business School during your tenure? I would like to assist the Business School of the University of the Free State to position itself more strongly on a local, regional and global level to invest in the talents of today and tomorrow by equipping individuals with an entrepreneurial compass to navigate the VUCA Barney world that we find ourselves in and to launch sustainable business ventures. Having said that, we also need to take cognizance of the growing changes and trends towards the adoption of flatter and more open collaborative business models, especially the rise of the social enterprise and some funny seafoods which emphasize teamwork. And that completely changed the nature in terms of how we should lead businesses. So I feel strongly that we need to equip our students really with the necessary skills to effectively cooperate across the various business domains. And then, of course, at the same time, challenge corporate challenges in manners that are entrepreneurial and that can also make a greater economic impact. And then for us at business schools, it's important then that we relook our educational approaches that fosters the acquisition then of these fundamental business talents and then also the cultivation of interpersonal proficiencies and of course equipping our students with the capacity to thrive in this new world of work. And then next to that, there's also a global pleasure to transform conventional business schools into entrepreneurial business schools. So if you look um, at some of our financial reports, it's really evident that micro, small and medium enterprises in South Africa contribute to more than 90% of all the formal businesses in the country and employs almost 60% of the workforce and then of course contribute of almost 40% to our GDP. Now in light of the high poverty levels in the Free State province and also due in unemployment, I foresee and envision that we as a business school should really take and play a more effective role in increasing the shift in the development of entrepreneurs and small companies in the pre-state province. And then lastly, of course, we're going to make 4IR, 5IR, and people are already talking about 6IR, really digital technologies, our best friends, and also see how we can bring education to more people around the globe. So I'm looking forward to together with my team, expanding and establishing the USFS Business School as a preferred incubator for education to try 
transform empower and sustain really the lives of future fit and leaders and societies through business education excellence executive education or training remains quite popular globally but it does have its critics so i'm a podcast fan and in october 2022 the free economics mm. team you know questioned if bosses who went to business school pay their workers less as outlined in the study that they used your brief thoughts on this do business schools prioritize talent management in the same way that they prioritize financial management um i think criticism is a good thing it means that we are being noticed but also keeps us on our toes and i've also read the report and um, which was actually done in the us and also in denmark and then i also look at what's happening um in the south african context and what is interesting a recent study about mba qualification showed that indeed when you earn an mba degree and people get up to 32 percent more salary compared to a prior job and a new job so there's definitely some rewards in terms of doing an mba and attending a business school however what is for me important is that a leader that truly invests in his and her employees will consider a total reward solution that really recognizes the inputs and performance of employees on a fair equitable and transparent manner and i believe that is where we as business schools um, come into the picture because this is an education function business schools is fluid and dynamic and should consistently reinvent itself if you use the analogy for example of the fashion industry business education is highly competitive mm. it's all about the brand its quality differentiation affordability accessibility and then ultimately what is the fashion statement so that means we need to up our game by being alert to the trends adopting agile mindset and provide timely and proactive relevant and just-in-time education that meets the needs of a diverse group of learners and executives and i firmly also believe that we need to know our market better to provide exemplary and multidisciplinary customer service that prioritizes fit for purpose business education curricula that enable our learners to be worth more and that also um, answers the question in terms of prioritizing talent management and financial management so we are really looking for a fully grounded business executive going out there that's got knowledge about all these important elements that's part and parcel of their daily jobs and not for example prioritize one type of function above others and that is very important to us Professor, what role does executive education play in cultivating tomorrow's corporate leaders? And I think your previous answer touched on this a little bit. Thank you for the question. And I'm basically saying that if you don't learn anything today, you are uneducated tomorrow. So leadership education is currently a multi-billion dollar industry. And I just want to give the listeners some facts about that. Deloitte, a couple of years ago, made some predictions in terms of the future success of any company depends on the quality of employer-employee relationships. And what is scary me is that a recent global study showed that 98% of leaders indicate that they need training in people management skills. And that really brings us to the conundrum of human-centric leadership versus business-centric leadership. The sort of the workplace skills in 2035, and believe it or not, will not be technical skills, it's going to be soft skills as we are moving towards human-centric organizations. 
And as I've mentioned, Josh, that 98% of um, business and executive leaders say that they need training in people management skills. So although leaders need to achieve business results, they also need to recognize employees as valuable assets to organizations and worth investing in. And I also want to quote the World Economic Forum, which earlier this year made a very powerful statement in terms of improved pan-African leadership. And they said that Africa doesn't need charity, it needs good leadership. And that immediately also tells you the value that the executive education can play in terms of leadership going forward in terms of the entire African continent. Also, if we look in terms of great resignation, and that is something that also started in the United States, and um, people leave because of poor leadership. The Saratoga um, Leadership Institute, for example, did 80,000 interviews, and 60,000 of these interviews show that people quit because of poor leadership. Another very important trend um, that the listeners and business executives can also take note of is that the leadership coaching revolution is here. So especially in the post-COVID-19 world of work, there's a drastic increase in the need for leadership coaching programs. Lastly, is that 95% of learning organizations either plan to increase or maintain the current investment in leadership development. So just looking at the mere hardcore facts, it's really evident that executive education is definitely something that is here to stay. And if we look in terms of where the world of work is moving forward, the more human-centric workplaces and where the emphasis on employer-employee relationship is evident that we really need well-groomed business executives that can drive business results through people. Thank you so much for that, Prof. That was a great answer. Can executive education help to narrow the gender gap in corporate leadership positions? And this is an apt question for Women's Month. And yes, thank you for the question and of course very relevant for Women's Month. I think the underrepresentation of women in high-paying managerial positions is really a well-known issue. If we look in terms of our most recent employment equity report, it really shows that women are still lagging behind when it comes to executive positions and also critical skills development. So yes, I believe that executive education is essential to narrow the gender gap in corporate leadership positions, but that is not the only solution. So We've done some studies in terms of the career advancement of executive women, and we found that gender stereotyping is still prevalent and that women especially are struggling to get access to mentorship and social networks. And then, of course, unfortunately, we also have the Queen Bee effect where we have senior women in positions, but they're not always interested in mentoring or coaching younger and upcoming women leaders because they struggled also to get to that position. And then there are still traditional roles of women as a key caretaker of the house children and elders. I think that what is for me important is that we should start a dialogue in the workplace on how we can really enable women's career advancement into executive positions, the value that they can add to the respective positions, and also strike a balance between their work and traditional roles. And that gives us, as a business school, a fantastic opportunity to start with executive women's and coaching programs and really empower our women in terms of their career advancement to more executive positions. Well, a lot of South Africans are opting to pursue executive management degrees or qualifications like the MBA abroad in order 
to get ahead upon their return. What are your thoughts on this? And this question for me, you know, I thought of it because I had last week I had breakfast with a friend who's choosing to pursue an MBA in London. And I think the question and and as she's talking about her journey and the financial sacrifices, I'm wondering yeah. to myself, you know, is it worth it? Um, thank you very much. And this is such an important question. I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm proudly South African. And I believe that we tend really to short sell ourselves. Of course, there are fantastic programs out there. However, I believe that our program offerings can complete globally at any day. I've been involved in some lecturing overseas, wonderful programs. But again, I believe that South African business schools have great potential. And also, it's important to educate our nation. I think what is really important is that, again, we need to be agile and we need to be able to adapt to the latest workplace trends and to ensure that our educational offerings are quality, competitive, and with impact. And I think to achieve this, we as a business school, especially the Free State Business School, need to ask ourselves the following questions. Is that how are we going to establish a distinct SMME growth identity among current and prospective stakeholders within the business school? And then also as a business school, how can we best prepare our students to succeed in the business world? Furthermore, I believe also that how can we apply our expertise as a business school based on a local, regional and national level to manage expectations, issues and challenges and make use of 4IR to improve, especially the new hybrid world of work. And then lastly is that how can we as a business school effectively manage any future expectations from our students and stakeholders. So what is important for me is, yes, we, of course, think global, but we also act local. And I really think that we've got what it takes, really to educate our people and make some very successful business leaders of them locally. Professor, how has the talent management landscape in corporate South Africa evolved over the years as compared to abroad? And I mean, you are the person to ask because, you know, you are a seasoned professional in the talent management landscape. Thank you for the question. There are many trends, but um, I'm going to try my very best um, to highlight four trends very quickly. So very important, at last, there's now some sort of a definition for workplace talent. For the past 30 years, authors argued about the non-existence of a suitable workplace definition for talent. So every time when you open a research article, they start with there's no definition for talent. And we got a bit tired of that and said no. At least in the South African context, there's a measurable definition of workplace talent that we develop and that we can apply in any workplace context. So very shortly, that for us, talent is an individual imposition of talent intelligence acumen that can be part of, or that can add rather, quantitative and qualitative value for sustainable competitiveness. So it's quite a loaded definition but it was developed to such an extent that we can really apply it in any workplace context and that is fit for purpose. So yes, we are able to detect talent in the workplace. Next to that, very, very important, is there's a systematic movement and that's also now globally and both in South Africa and also in the, on the African continent, we are, we are also doing a lot of research towards a more inclusive approach to talent management. So where all employees are considered to have some sort of value from organization and need to be positioned as such. So in early days, the emphasis was very much on a selected few individuals with talent in the workplace, and that was also being called the exclusive and the elitist approach. So the emphasis was pretty much on 15% of individuals, which resulted in others not really having the opportunity to be considered also valuable to the organization. And that is now um, completely changing with some new approaches to talent management. I think this one um, the listeners might find um, interesting. Workforce generation. There's a very interesting shift in the requirements of work 
fourth generation. So in a recent study that we did, and we also see some similar trends abroad, is that older generations are also interested in higher salaries like the younger generations. Some earlier studies, for example, showed the preference of older generations for more benefits like medical aid and pension. And although these are still important, the current economic situation is also driving them towards a higher preference for, for salaries and, and higher compensation, given, of course, the devaluation of national currencies and the rising cost of living. So it was really interesting, you know, to see that there are really a lot of similarities coming out in terms um, of the different generations. And historically, in our research, we try to stereotype different generations based on their age and their experience, and we've been putting them in boxes. And nowadays, there's a much more focus on the underlying values between the different generations. And I always ask the question, so during the COVID pandemic, did it matter whether you were 20 years old or 80 years old um, when we had to work from home? So all of us had to work on a computer. And this will also imply a drastic shift in terms of how we're managing um, different workforce generations going forward and also how we're going to educate them in terms of the different roles and positions that they can play in their respective organization. And then the very last one is a longevity dividend. So there's going to be no retirement in future due to birth rates going down in many countries. So going forward, it will not be strange to work with an individual older than 100 years in organization. And can you believe it? So the positive of that for us as business schools is that we will continue educating for a very long time. Your thoughts on quiet quitting and the great resignation. You mentioned that, you know, these movements started in the United States. What did these movements show us about the employer-employee relationship in the 21st century? Thank you very much for the question. And it's a very important um, aspect that we need to look at. As mentioned um, a bit earlier is that the most important factor that will determine the success of any organization will be the employer-employee relationship. So currently there is a great drive um, towards the well-being of employees, especially after um, the COVID-19 pandemic. And the mistake that we tend to make in many organizations is that we focus on the individual, which is wonderful. However, we are not fixing what's happening after into the organization. So we focus on small, micro-level individual intervention instead of more organizational-level interventions that we need. So what's really important causing the resignations was the cause um, of toxic work environment and in many cases also leadership. And as I've mentioned before, um, everything starts and forwards with also leadership. So people leave because of, of leaders. So I know, especially when I read in the United States, that people say they're tired of this culture, that they are working in, they're tired of being bullied, they're tired of being overworked, and that is why they are leaving. And what is really scary is that burnout, although it's been quite prevalent for many years, even before COVID, a global survey showed that about 47% of the workforce globally is suffering from burnout. Now, that is quite serious because we know if people are burnout, it's really hard to recover from that. And of course, it's got negative implications for the individual and also the organization. Another very, very concerning factor also contributing to quiet quitting and the great resignation is workplace bullying. So some studies showed, for example, that bullying is becoming a pandemic. More than 70% of um, individuals have either been bullied or been exposed to bullying. I think some good news for our South Africans is that um, last year, there was a piece of legislation passed and also in the Code of Good Practice of the Labor Relations Act, which actually caters also now for workplace bullying. But these are really some serious issues mm-hmm. um, that should not be allowed in the workplace. And that's what really starts with, with leadership together with HR business partners, creating that conducive um, workplace culture.
cultured where people can really flourish and grow. And then what was interesting together was quite good thing and you know like the great resignation I was also reading in a recent Rent Channel report about quiet firing. And I was thinking, yo, you know, like it's something about you are fired and, and, and totally not. And so, yeah. and, and what is that about that is that we live sometimes in a society where we don't want to see the sunshine on others. We don't, you know, like want to see people perform. We're not celebrating performance. And that is also something, you know, like that needs to change. The Business Hour with Oliver Feng on OFM.